the footsteps of Jesus from down under. This is Nick Krita, your host today. Welcome to the program. I'm very happy to have you with us again. And please stay with us because today I've got a special guest. Somebody who over uh, a period of time, uh, he gave me some hard time and this is my turn now to pay him back. Joshua, welcome to the program. Thanks, Nick. Good to be here. Very happy to have you with us, uh, Josh. Uh, now, I know you are here in Adelaide from Sydney, yes. traveling from Sydney. You had an appointment here in Adelaide uh-huh. and I just grabbed you in the last minute, not much uh, <laughs> time to think, yeah. but I'm very happy to have you with us here in the footsteps of Jesus. This is a program which features mainly testimonies, stories, your walk with Jesus. Mm. And I know that um, you have a great story to share because I spent some time with you in Melbourne uh, with some training there. And uh, I learned some of your story and I'm so happy now to have you here mm-hmm. to share your story, to encourage people and uh, yeah, let God speak through you for our listeners. Look, I would just like to ask you before you get into your story, sure. just a few questions. First of all, would you like to tell us about yourself, a bit of your background? A little bit of my background. Um, I grew up in Sydney. I am um, Hispanic. I Father's from Spain, mother's from Peru. And uh, was raised um, not not an Adventist, but um, by God's providence, you know, He's brought me to the church. And um, yeah, I've been doing ministry for the last almost six years, and I've just finished my second year of study at Avondale College as well. And uh, yeah, look forward to to getting into into more ministry. Mm. Um, now, I know that you didn't have anything to do with God uh, in your youth. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us? Uh, how you got to know God? Well, look, I, I was actually raised, um, my parents were Baptist, and I was raised in a Baptist home, but um, we were very, uh, very lukewarm. We were very worldly Baptists. So as I grew older, I was very uh, disinterested in church, and um, when I got older and I started hanging around the, ho- the wrong crowds, and I started to get into rap music, and yeah, my, I just started, I stopped going to church, and, and I just really got into the world, and um yeah, and that's where my, I guess, my love for, for rap music and that kind of lifestyle started to grow. And the more I got involved in that, obviously, you know, the less I had um, to do anything to do with, with God and with church. Now, this time probably wouldn't be um, interview type, you know. Mm-hmm. I would just like to take us through your experience, mm-hmm. you know, with God. I mean, you mentioned that uh, this world uh, captured your uh, mm-hmm. interest and attention, mm-hmm. but... Uh, since I know you, I know you as a different man. Yeah. But I'd like to know a bit more how that happened. Um, yeah, well, look, I guess before I even speak on that, I, I just want to share really quickly, um, for those who don't know, there are some of us that are very familiar with the story of the prodigal son, um, that there might be some that are listening that, that aren't familiar with the story. And I, I just want to quickly share about that because it plays a very important part in, in how I came to Jesus. Um, the, in Luke chapter 15, we have a story there where the, um, the Bible says, you know, Jesus talking, he says that there was a man who had two sons and one of the sons wasn't, you know, happy being at home anymore and wanted to go out into the world, wanted to do his own thing. And he said to the, to his father, you know, I'm not happy here anymore. Give me my, my part of the inheritance that belongs to me and let me go my way, you know, and the father, 
as sad as he was and, you know, probably broke his heart to hear these things. He didn't force his son, just like God doesn't force us, you know, to, to be with him. Um, he gave him what belonged to him. Um, and, and he went, the son went and, um, and ended up spending all his money on, on just wasteful living. And before he knows it, he's just regretting what he's done. You know, he starts thinking back to his father's house and his father and how much his father loved him and how he had everything he needed at his father's house. And now he just, you know, he's feeding pigs, you know, he can't, the pigs that he's feeding are eating better than him. So he devises a plan to go back home and, and try to talk his way into, you know, maybe his father accepting him as a servant, you know. So he, he begins his journey back home, regretting the decision that he made of leaving in the first place. And the Bible just tells us that as the father sees the son walking or coming towards the house, that the father runs out and he meets him halfway and he hugs him and he puts his arm around him, puts his robe on him and, and he's just so happy that, that he's home that even though the son might be wanting to, you know, try to come up with a, you know, some kind of agreement for him to come back as a servant, the father's like, no, you're my son, you know, and he's just so happy that he's home and he, he does, you know, puts on a big celebration and everything, you know, and the Bible says, you know, this is my son who was lost but now has been found. So that, I just wanted to share that quickly because, um, You'll see it's got an important part. Well, just with my story, um, I basically grew up in a Christian home. I left church when I was a teenager. I was very attracted to the world, very attracted to rap music and that kind of lifestyle and culture. I started to you know, hang around people that were like me, like-minded, started to dress differently and talk differently and act differently and all these things. And as I got older, you know, that, that love for that, that culture grew even more. And when I left high school, I um I met a girl who was part of a, a different church than I than I was. She was a Seventh Day Adventist. Uh, I had never heard of Seventh Day Adventist before until she mentioned um, that church, that name. And I went then to my my pastor, who I would see every now and then because he lived across the road from me. And I asked him about um I asked him about the Seventh Day Adventist Church, and he told me some some horrible things about Adventists that then had me very worried about the church that my girlfriend was in. You know, I wanted to get her out of that church. So I started reading a lot of things on the internet, very negative about the church. And so here I am, very worldly, not in church myself, but trying to get my girlfriend out of the church she goes to. And as I am progressing in, in my life, and then I start to, to visit her church, and I, I end up meeting some guys that, are, that I end up seeing that are very like me, you know, into the same kind of music and everything. And these guys were in a rap group. So I started getting together with them and I joined them in their in their rap music and we started recording music, we started going to the clubs and, and playing at the clubs and we started to get a bit of a following in, in Western Sydney among mainly among, you know, Hispanic uh in you know, the Hispanic scene and things like that. So over time we start attracting people, you know, friends, friends of friends start being attracted to the group and, and the group starts to grow and some of the people that, that were becoming a part of our group were actually into some criminal activity, you know. Um, some of them were in, in gangs and things like that. And yeah, look, I, I, I guess I don't have too much time to, to share everything, but long story short is that I um, we ended up you know forming a gang at one point ourselves. And that's where the music and the, that culture that, you know, being attracted to that, it led us to that point. So here I am going out with this girl who is Seventh Day Adventist. I still think that her church is 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 not the right church. And now I'm in a gang, and you know I was doing, you know, I was selling drugs, I was taking drugs, drinking all of that stuff, you know, smoking, etc. And it's um, it's around 2001. 
it's 2001 around this time and, and, um, you know, September 11th happens. And like everybody, you know, when that happened, um, you know, we wanted to know what, what was going on, what was happening in the world. And I went and I spoke to a friend of mine who was Lebanese, um, who gave me a CD about, uh, secret societies. And he said, if you really want to know what's going on in the world, look at this stuff about, you know, Freemasons and secret societies, etc." I'd never heard of any of that stuff before. So I went home and I listened to it and I, I, you know, I ended up becoming a conspiracy theorist. So among my, amongst my family and my friends and everything, the gang, wherever I was, everybody knew me now as a conspiracy theorist, you know, always talking about, you know, the Illuminati and all this stuff. So then one of my friends one day who's in the gang with me, he gives me a call on the phone and he says that he's received a pamphlet in his letterbox uh, to go to some programs in the city in Sydney. And he says, this looks like the stuff that you know about, Josh. You know, come with me, you know. And I said, well, I don't want to go. I was, by this time, I had read so many things. I had studied so many things. I was even doubting what I was taught as a kid about the Bible. I was just doubting everything. I didn't know what to believe. I was very confused. So I said, I don't want to go. And he called me the next day and he said, come with me, you know. And I said, I don't want to go. He calls me the next day and he's like, look, man, I just want you to come with me. And I said, I ended up saying, look, I'm going to go with you just to get you off my back. You know, we'll go. I'll go one time and we'll see what, you know, we'll see what it's all about. I get there and um, the guy that's going to be speaking, he comes out and he introduces himself as a Christian. And he says that he believes in the Bible and that he's going to pray before he talks. And I was looking at, at everything and it was called the ancient mystery religions. And I, I thought I'm going to hear some stuff about, you know, the Freemasons and stuff. But this guy's a Christian. I was, I was really, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. And after the program, which I really enjoyed, I, I went and I asked him, I said, hey, um, you're a Christian. He said, yeah, I go, what church you, do you belong to? He said, oh, I'm a Seventh Adventist. And I was like, oh, man. Just when I thought, you know, I, I found something, you know, some truth or something. This guy's a Seventh-day Adventist. Uh, he saw I was a bit upset. He asked me what was wrong. I told him, you know, what, what I had been told. And, and he said, look, I'll come do some Bible studies with you, you know. And I'm like, yeah, I ended up agreeing. I didn't agree at first, but I ended up agreeing. He comes to my house for weeks and we do Bible studies. And every time he'd come, I have like stacks of papers just waiting, you know, all these arguments against the Adventist teachings and against Ellen White and all of this stuff. And um, we just, you know, he'd come day, you know, week after week, and and just all of the arguments I had, just one by one, he showed me just from the Bible, nothing else, just the Bible, what the Bible actually taught about these things. And before, you know, after, you know, before you know it, we've finished everything. I have no more arguments left, and and you know, I had to accept it, you know, because if I realize if I'm going to fight anymore now, I'm, I'm not fighting against the church, I'm not fighting against someone's beliefs, I'm fighting against the Bible, and I can't do that. So I was convicted, I was convinced, you know, these guys preach the truth. But I was also convinced that my life needed to change. You know, I couldn't do the things that I was doing anymore. I couldn't be involved in what I was involved in anymore. So I made a few decisions, you know, I had to stop drinking, I had to stop smoking, I, I had to leave the gang, I couldn't do that anymore. So I go and I and I, I say that, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I can't do this anymore, i, I got to leave the gang and... um Overnight, all my friends turned on me. You know, they, they didn't accept the fact that I wanted to leave. And I had people that were my closest friends, like brothers to me, just, you know, they were insulting me and calling me all of these names and a coward and all of this stuff. But I knew this is what I had to do. So I, I kept going forward with it. I said, I need to get rid of all these things from my life. But there was one thing I wasn't willing to let go of. It was my music. I had been working for so many years now. I was recording music. I was doing rap music, but I was, you know, people were talking about a record deal, and I, I thought I had a future in this. This was going to be my bread and butter, you know, in the future. So 
the problem was the as I stayed in the music that I always felt that I always realized that I was just I kept falling back into temptation. It was always there. There was always drugs. There was always alcohol. I was in a committed relationship, but there was always women, you know, and all of these things were just constantly there. So I was always falling. I was kept struggling. Then I got married, and I I took that as an opportunity to you know I'm gonna get I'm gonna stop the music for a while, and and it was great. You know, after I got married, it was great. I was doing well. I was going to church. I was I wasn't drinking and smoking anymore, and I was really progressing in my spiritual walk. And then one day my mom calls me and my mother calls me and she's crying on the phone and I'm like, what's wrong, mom? And she says, your cousin, you know, he went out last night. He went to King's Cross. He got into a fight. Um, some security guard hit him. He fell down, hit his head on the curb. He's, he's in, on life support now in the hospital. And I was like, this is crazy. He had a, he had a, he had a three month old, my nephew, you know, three month old boy at home. And now my cousin's on life support. This was incredible, you know, it was, it was a terrible, terrible moment for the family. So we go to the hospital and, you know, everybody's there and everybody's sad about what's happening. But, you know, I had heard these things in church where God is able to heal people. And, and you know, if they do anointings and things like that, God can, you know, revive people. And I was very hopeful, very trying to be very faithful about this. So we would be praying and praying and praying. And um, one day I managed to get my pastor and the head elder of the church to come and anoint my cousin. And they came and all the family were there and all my family decided that, you know, they're not Adventists. They don't even go to church. And I thought, you know, this is, this is going to be what it takes for my family to see that God is real. You know, he's going to do a miracle here. So they go and they anoint him. And then I'm thinking, you know, yes, he's going to wake up. He's going to wake up. And then the next day, the, the doctors tell us to go, there's no way he's coming back. We have to switch off the life support. So my cousin died and I didn't know how to handle that. I was really, you know, I, yeah, it was it was really really difficult moment for me. I wasn't strong in my faith then, and and I didn't know how to handle it. And I even I even got angry with God because of what happened. And then um, what I ended up doing was the worst thing I could have ever done. Is I allowed I allowed what had happened to become an excuse for me to go back to the things that I was that I had already left behind. I started drinking again. I started smoking again. But this time it had taken control over me. Like like never before. I, I couldn't. There's nothing I could have done to. I would. I would even. There would be times where I was stoned and drunk, and I would be pleading with God, "Help me! I can't do nothing. I can't get out of this." And I would just sink deeper and deeper. And I was watching pornography. And I had a little daughter by that time too. And I was coming home three, four in the morning, drunk, stoned. You know, my wife. You know, it was. I was a horrible husband, very irresponsible. Um, my wife almost left me twice. Um, I had a really good job in those days, and. They, I was on, on my last warning because of my lifestyle was affecting my work. And then also with my family, you know, my dad, he raised me up to be a different kind of person. He was very, he was not happy with the way I was living my life. So I had a bad relationship with my family. So basically all the good things in my life were starting to, to fall to pieces. And the worst thing was, is that my spiritual life was non-existent now by this time. All right. There was I was just not going to church anymore. I didn't want anything to do with church anymore um, because, you know, how can you be going to church when you're just living so sinfully? You know, the thing was that when I originally left the gang that I was involved in, I had left because I said to them I wanted to be a Christian. So I was basically told in, in few words that, you know, if you're going to do this, you better be real with this. You better be a Christian. And that was what I was honestly trying to do, but the devil had gotten a hold of me at this point and had it was it was look he was trying to destroy my life. So now my old friends had found out about this and I started to get some threats here and there, you know. 
uh, because I had lied. As far as they could tell, I had lied to them, you know. So then one night I'm out in um in in Mount Druitt in Sydney, and I'm at a recording studio, and we're recording a we're actually filming a video clip for a song that we're doing, and I was there with some friends. And we were there from about eight o'clock. It was about one o'clock, almost two in the morning, I think. And we had been drinking and smoking. We were, we were at the point where we just wanted to just fall asleep. We were that, that wasted with everything. And at that moment is when the owner of the studio says that somehow my old friends, the ones who were threatening me, had found out that I was there and they were outside waiting for me. They wanted to confront me. And I get told that they have baseball bats, they have knuckle busters, you know, weapons. And the guy says to me, he says, one of them has a gun. And he goes, they wanted to come in, but I couldn't let him in. I didn't want to because you're here. He didn't want us to have a fight in his studio. He said, but when they found out you were here, Josh, they were so angry. Um, you know, and just as he's saying this to me, I start hearing, you know, they're banging on the door. They're saying, come out, you know, and they're swearing at me and all of these things. And there's just a couple of my friends there with me, and I hear there's two carloads of guys outside waiting for me, you know? So we're outnumbered, we have no weapons, we're, we're in no position to defend ourselves because we're so, you know, drunk and stoned. And a friend of mine says, look, we're gonna, two of them said they'll walk out the front as a decoy, because my other friend Daniel, who was driving me that night, he had his car parked at the back. And the guys were at the front, so they said, my two friends said, we'll walk out the front, and while we do that, kind of distract them, and you go out the back and go. See, they couldn't get in through the back fence because there was a big security fence there, a big metal one, right? So anyway, so I said, all right, this is, you know, why not? You know, what else are we going to do? We have no choice. So as my friends walking out the front, they shut the door behind them, and at that moment, we look outside, there's no one there, my friend's car's there, we say, let's get in. So we go to get to the car, but guess what? There's a big security metal gate there that's locked. And one of the things that I learned since a little kid, you know, because I did grow up with somewhat of a Christian, you know, um, ex you know, background, I just always knew to pray. Even when I was desperate, even when I was doing the wrong thing, my instinct was always to say, please, God, help me. And I just remember at that moment, I'm trying to open this gate and it won't open. And I just remember I said, please, God, help me. And the gate just opened. And I was just so full of adrenaline and fear and everything that was going through my mind that I didn't realize at that point the miracle that had just happened. That was one miracle. We then get into the car. We speed off, drive a couple of blocks. We get to a red light and we're like, you know, we're safe now, you know. And all of a sudden, I hear two cars screeching up behind us. Um, I hear swearing. I hear all of these things. One of the guys comes up to my window where I was sitting, and he had a metal baseball bat or some kind of a of a of a. I believe it was a metal object because he um he went to swing through the window to hit my head. Right, he wanted to hit my head through the window, so he he went to hit me. And my friend Daniel, who's driving the car, he tells me to this day, he says, look, I don't know what happened to me at that moment, but he, something made me move the car about this much, about half, half a meter. And he moved it at the precise moment, so when the, ba the bat or whatever it was they were trying to hit me with, hit the car. Instead of hitting my window, it hit the one right behind me. They were trying to get me. So Daniel moved the car. That was another miracle, right? But see, the bang was so loud. That I thought it was a gunshot because that's how loud it was and the glass just, you know, a thousand pieces just shattered everywhere. So all I remember saying to Daniel and everything was a blur and a haze, I said, Daniel, drive, let's get out of here. So we, we drove off, went through the red light 
And before I know it, I'm on a high-speed chase, Great Western Highway from, you know, western suburbs of Sydney all the way down to Parramatta. We were going 160, 170 kilometers an hour, speeding through red lights. It's a miracle we didn't collide with anyone. We didn't crash into anything. We didn't lose control. And I just remember as I was looking back, they kept coming. They kept coming. And I just remember sitting in the car that night thinking, this is it. This is this is it. This is what my life's come to. I'm going to die tonight because if these guys get me, they're probably going to kill me. So I remember at one point I looked back and I didn't see them anymore. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like they're not there anymore. So I then have to call my wife about two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning and say, you know, these people have just tried to kill me. They've been chasing me. I don't know if they're coming to the house to see me. Lock up the house. Protect yourself. Protect the baby. If anyone comes, call the police. Like imagine having to put your wife through something like that, right? Um, and I didn't go home because I, I thought maybe they were waiting for me there. So then what ends up happening is that the next day, my friends that left, they went and told my other friends what had happened. And even though I wasn't in the gang anymore, the friends that I knew were still had those kind of street connections as well. So my, when my friends found out what had happened, I started getting phone calls asking me, Josh, did this happen? Did that happen? I said, yeah, dear. And they're saying, we've got to do something about it. We've got to do something about it. So then my friends come up with a plan to try to sort this problem out. And the plan that ends up being put forward on the table is that the only way that we're going to sort this problem out is we're going to have to kill them. So that's the plan that's put forth. And then I have a friend of mine who's calling me every day for three days straight telling me, Josh, I've got 10 guys here. We all have guns. Let's go tonight. Let's kill them. Let's do this. Let's do this. And the whole time I'm just like, like I couldn't say yes. I was just... Imagine, this is crazy, you know what I'm saying? Like, all of a sudden, look where my life is, you know what I mean? All the good things in my life are falling to pieces. People now want to kill me. People want to kill for me. There's going to be this huge war that's going to erupt in Sydney. People are going to die. People are going to go to jail. And it's all because of me. And I'm sitting there one day at home by myself, and I'm thinking about all of these things. And then I hear this little voice in my head. And he says to me, you know what, Josh? If you disappear, if you're not around anymore, the problems all go away. Satan was whispering in my ear, if you kill yourself, you sort out all the problems. And I had, I was, I was in such a low and bad place at that moment that those words were actually making sense to me. So now I'm sitting there in my room and I'm thinking the only way out of all of this is to take my own life. That's where I was. And at that moment, I look and I see on my wife's desk, she has a Bible. And it's like there's this light coming out of the Bible. It's like there's like some kind of glow around the Bible. It's like the Bible is trying to call out to me. And I look at it, and then the thought comes into my mind, Nah, I've done too much bad to go to God now. Look at everything I've done. Look at what I've been doing. Look how I've been living my life. I turned my back away from God. I was doing all of these terrible things. How can I now come to God? No, no. And, and as I'm thinking that, the, the glow, this light from the Bible, it's like getting brighter. At some point, it just overwhelms me too much that I end up on my knees and I start praying. And I just remember at that point, I, was, I just remember praying and I just remember this was probably the first time I was so openly honest with God. And I just said, God, look at what I've done. Look at everything. And I'm, I'm just pouring my heart out to God. And I'm saying, God, look at what I've done, look at where I've, where I've gotten to, and this is all my fault. There's no one else to blame but myself. And I said, I need help, but I don't even know if you're listening to me. 
can you please just let me know that you're there? Because if you're not, I have no other hope in this life anymore. I'll kill myself. There's no other thing for me to do. And I remember I opened my eyes from that prayer. And I remember, and now all of a sudden I noticed, I didn't notice it before, but next to my wife's Bible, she had the Sabbath school quarterly. The lesson, the weekly lesson was there. And now all of a sudden this book, it was like calling out to me. And I just remember walking to the desk, picking up the book and just opening it up. I wasn't searching, I literally just opened it up. And there was something there on that page. And that's the moment that my life changed forever. I opened it up. And do you know what the lesson for that week was? Have a guess. As I opened it up, Nick, the lesson for that week was the story of the prodigal son. And right on that page was a picture of the father hugging the son with tears in his eyes that his son had come back home. And I knew that story. I fell to the ground. And I was crying for about two hours on the ground. And as I was on the ground crying, I felt the love of God just pour down on me. I've never felt anything like this before in my life. This was the first time I had a real, a real and personal experience with Jesus. I, I felt him there. I felt him covering me. Like the father took off his robe and put it on the son. I felt that. I felt peace. I felt just love. It was just an amazing feeling. And I remember I got up from that and I just knew my life is never going to be the same again. And I went and I told my friends, I said, look, man, I love you guys. Thank you so much for what you're willing to do for me and that. But God has got my back now. God is the one who's protecting me now. My life is in God's hands now. And then ever since that moment, my life has never been the same. You know, he restored my marriage. He fixed my family relationships. Not only did he give me a better job, but he gave me the best job of all. I'm in ministry now. Yeah, I could talk so much more, Nick, Look, about uh, how good God is. Uh, Joshua, uh, that's amazing. And uh, right now, it's time to take a short break. And we've got uh, one of your friends here with us yeah. who may sing for us uh, a song. Now, this is uh, a bit improvised, but uh, you'll understand that because we are trying to just, uh, uh, you know, complete this mm. uh, this story. Please don't go anywhere. Stay with us. We are going to listen to a song and we'll come back to see where Josh is right now. This is in the footsteps of Jesus from Down Under. Lord, we want to know 
That was so wonderful. Thank you very much, Lunga, for sharing with us uh, that uh, beautiful song, Seekers of Your Heart. Joshua, our special guest for today, he's got quite a story to tell. And um, just to conclude, I would like to tell you that uh, Joshua grew up in a Christian family, but he walked away from God. Um, He battled with himself He was involved in many things, uh, gangs and drugs and alcohol. And But uh, I would like to hear from Josh from a changed man. Mm. He just mentioned before the break, after he's got that encounter with God, and he just started to tell us that he's got, he's found himself and his place in ministry. Joshua. I was privileged to spend with you over six weeks in Melbourne and uh, I kind of uh, 
got to know you and your passion for Jesus. Now, you moved after that to study theology um, in uh, New South Wales, mm. uh, and you shared with me just a few hours ago that you are called to, to be a, a pastor and also study at the same time. Mm. Tell us. Yeah, well, as, as I was mentioning, um, when I, I had my uh, experience with Jesus, it, it changed my life. I couldn't, I just, I wasn't able to be the same person anymore. And I felt like, you know, my life had been saved. I felt like God saved my life. So I, my life belongs to Him now. And, you know, um, I was mentioning as well that there were a number of things in my life that were, that I was destroying because of the way I was living my life. Uh, one of them was my marriage. But um, God is so good, you know, He... He he has restored my marriage, and he is now an active part of my of my marriage of my family. He is the fifth member of our family. You know, I have a wife and two beautiful girls, and all all of that. You know, I I, I yeah, I owe that all to God. You know that He was able to do that because um I was not a good husband and I was not a good father before I met Jesus. At the same time, you know, my family um they're all part of the church now. You know, and they. They all believe in the Adventist message, and they're attending Adventist churches, and I'm I'm really happy about that. And as well with my work, I mentioned as well before that God has given me the best job, and that's ministry. Um, when I had my radical encounter with with Jesus, I just wanted to share with people what He had done for me, and I started sharing my testimony, and I just started doing what I could. And I remember I, I wanted to start preaching, and and you know I don't know if. Yeah, that I wasn't kind of getting an opportunity to do so much at the start. So I said, I got to do something. I can't just sit idly by. So I started going to the streets and I met some young guys that were just, you know, like-minded like me. And we would just go to the streets and we'd hand out um, Steps to Christ books and we'd hand out glow tracks and we'd just preach on the streets and we'd just do anything that we could to share the gospel with people. And started preaching, started doing Bible studies, started all of these things. And um, it all ended up with me getting a sponsorship um, to go to Avondale uh, to um, to study. And I've just finished my second year. And um, I praise God that an opportunity has just opened up for me to um, start start working in ministry again next year um, as I continue my studies. And and it's there's no – I was talking to someone again this morning, um, and I was just sharing with them a young person saying there is no – no greater joy and no greater fulfillment in life than when you're doing what God has called you to do. Mm. And not it's not ministry for everyone. You know, it's not pastoral work or chaplaincy and those kinds of things for everyone. But wherever you are, as long as you are doing what God has called you to do and you are putting Him first place in your life, your life would be a life of fulfillment. You would mm. be content. You would be happy. You will have peace. And I thank God, you know, I, I worked in the world for a long time and I made a lot of money and I bought a lot of things and I had, you know, all of the material things and, and none of that ever brought me, um, none of that ever filled me. It always left me empty inside. But it wasn't until I got into ministry that, you know, praise God that I, I finally felt that that's, that's, that's my passion and, and, and by God's grace, that's what I'll continue to do mm. until Jesus comes back, you know. Thank you very much, uh, Josh. I mean, look, time is against us like mm. usual. Uh, we we need to stop here. But thank you very much for having this um, opportunity to talk to you and to share your story with our listeners. If you like to just uh, say... To just say. really quickly, I just wanted to share, you know, um, I was at a point in my life where I felt that I had done too much wrong to come back to God. 
And it might be somebody listening to this now who might be feeling the same, who knows that they're just they're not happy with life, they're they're not happy where things are going. They they know that they 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 need something better and 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 they want God, but they might feel like they've done too much wrong to come to God. I want to tell you, if you're listening now, that God is waiting for you, just like the Father was waiting for the Son to come back home. That the moment that you take a step towards Jesus, He will run towards you. And don't ever forget that. Don't ever let the devil make you believe that that you have sinned too much to go back to God. You cannot sin too much, you know, to do to do that. God will always take you back. Um so if you're there and you're you're on you know you're struggling with this decision, go back to Jesus today. Let him into your heart. Let him change your life and you'll see just how amazing he is and and just how much he loves you and cares for you. Thank you, Josh, for that. And I would like to just uh, remind our listeners that uh, they can contact us and share their story. Also, uh, Josh mentioned about the book was uh, also important for him, Steps to Christ. If you like to have that book, please give us a ring, contact us, and we'll be more than happy to provide that book uh, for, for you. Till next time, please don't forget, keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Amen.